Hello, I'm Richard Aidy. This is Best Practice, RN show on management and work. Are you soldiering on because it's very much that time of year? Power. It's happening right now. Just take a look at Bob here. He oozes power. It's magnificent. When you're powerful, you're a force of nature. And forces don't do sick days. Would gravity do a sick day? No. Gravity doesn't do sick days. And neither does Bob, because he codrills. It powerfully relieves symptoms of cold and flu, achy, snotty, or throaty. These are no match for Codrill, and now Bob. He can't see me. Soldier on, powerful people. More on keeping on, keeping on later in the show. Let's start with a problem, a big problem. There's a mismatch between the skills many employers need and the skills that many who are looking for jobs have. As a result, a lot of positions are going unfilled, despite unemployment being higher than we'd like, of 5.7%. Nicholas Wyman has been thinking about this a lot. He's the chief executive of the Institute for Workplace Skills and Innovation and also the author of Job You, Find Your Path to a Successful Career in a Tough Job Market. What we have is this uh, supply and demand problem. Employers say they can't find people with the skills they need and uh, we've still got high levels of, of unemployment, particularly amongst young people. In Australia, you know, unemployment sits around 800,000 people and then you've got possibly another 1.2 million who are underemployed. Yet at any one time, there's about 150,000 jobs that remain unfilled. Why has this happened, though? I think there's a little bit of mystery to it, but I think there's also some, some facts. And, and the facts are that for a long time, our education systems haven't worked particularly well with employers. There haven't been strong partnerships. So education has been churning out people for many years in courses that are popular, not necessarily uh, courses or programs or, or educational training that's going to lead to jobs. These problems are not just a problem that Australia is facing. It's something that is being faced uh, in many countries. You, you are, maybe critical is too strong a word, but you have concerns about university education, don't you? Well, I'm very much a believer in the right education at the right time. My father was an academic and uh, he had ideas about me heading off down the university pathway and I can tell you it would have been a complete waste of time because I really wanted to learn by doing. After a bit of an arm wrestle, I'll tell you, um, he actually gave in and, uh, and agreed to, to let me um, get into an apprenticeship. Then I returned to, to education and, and did an MBA in my 30s, but that was when it was the right time for me. And I think we've got far too many people who feel this pressure to go to university when there are plenty of other alternatives available. And of course, the days of free education in Australia have long gone. So if you go to university, unless you're from a, a very well-off background, you end up with a debt. A absolutely. If you look to, to other countries, I mean, in the US, it's blown out to one2 trillion dollars. Now, that's certainly not a place where we want to go in Australia. The average student debt for higher education is um, is about $30,000. People feel this pressure that they have to, you know, pick a pathway. There's either a roadway towards vocational or there's a super highway to higher education. So people are signing into fairly expensive educational programs that probably don't lead where they want to lead or they drop out because it's not for them and they end up with this uh, debt that people carry for a very long time. All right. Well, you've been looking at, I suppose, some of the, the lesser-known pathways. What are they? Well, I'm a believer in the idea of learning by doing, and that can be um, 
uh, a traditional apprenticeship or um, a traineeship or very much open-minded to occupational learning or certifications, um, you know, which is really leading to, to new and emerging industries. And something that I've taken from my research around the world is that you don't have to pick vocational or higher education. There's a lot of programs now which are actually uh, combined and, you know, I'm pretty excited about a program that um, I was able to introduce to Australia in a pilot form where high school students are actually getting access to what I call real world skills. But it certainly is not going to preclude people from heading down a vocational pathway or heading off to higher education. But the students are going to graduate from, from this particular program called PTEC with the skills that employers need. And I think that's something as a country we've really got to look at and say, well, you know, what's the best bang for our buck? It is probably an, an interesting time, but there are challenges. So TAFE, which for decades was very successful, has now been consistently underfunded for years and there are real problems with how it's going to go on. But it's also emerged that uh, among the private providers of vocational and educational training, there have been some real cowboys who've taken a lot of money and left a lot of debt and provided very little. There's definitely issues around quality and in any education system and be it vocational or higher education, you really need to ensure that at the cornerstone of that is quality and that's something that in Australia has, has been uh, something we've been known around the world. Uh, people in the US and uh, people in Germany have actually tracked what we've done in vocational education and priming. So these cowboys, as you call it, are actually harming the reputation of uh, our education sector. As far as uh, the, the future of TAFE, I think the, the future of TAFE is is very bright. I think that it's really important to look at opportunities where TAFE can actually work in collaboration with higher education, be it through a, a dual sector arrangement, and particularly making the courses and programs very relevant to the needs of employers, but also making sure that, um, you know, that people who are looking at taking on some sort of vocational type of education really see the programs as contemporary and relevant. And if the curriculum's boring, then people are going to switch off. You mentioned apprenticeships, and I, I suppose people think of apprenticeships as the pathway into trades. I know there's more to it than that. Actually, one of my nephews is doing one in a very old craft. He's learning how to be a stonemason because there aren't very many stonemasons and, and there's actually a huge demand. Quite often people are focused on saying, well, the future of apprenticeship um, has to be these new and emerging industries, very much around biotech and medical tech and cyber and IT. Um, as, as you point out, there is still a demand um, you know, for um, you know, people in what I call traditional trades, there's always demand from employers looking to take on people in hospitality. Uh, this idea of learning by doing it, it's very difficult to find people in certain industries. There are misconceptions, like if you look at automotive, uh, for instance, there's a misconception out there that uh, doing an automotive apprenticeship is very much about grease and grime and having oil drip on your head. The, the reality is that it's very much these days about diagnostic. You plug in an iPad or plug in some sort of device into the car. So we have to make sure to keep apprenticeships relevant, that um, we don't lose traditional trades, that we focus on opportunities um, to introduce learning by doing, that we look at competency-based apprenticeships. Um, there's always uh, a call to have the length of apprenticeship shortened because uh, some young people really see that as a barrier. Taking on a four-year apprenticeship to become a chef is, is probably over the top. 
aeronautical engineering. Uh, I think it's about five years. I'd I have no desire to see that shortened, I can tell you. I think there are certain trades um, that we really need to focus on keeping to the current timeframes. But you could look at traineeships um, that have been very popular and um, some states have embraced traineeships more than others. And I think as long as you've got the combination of quality and variety, uh, a 12 to 18 month traineeship um, with a focus on IT, um, I think is a wonderful way for uh, a person to transition from school to work. You mentioned aeronautical, and uh, in the US you found a fascinating case study of, of essentially one company thinking, well, we can't find the young people and, and really developing their own training program. That's an amazing story, but you don't hear so many of them in Australia. Well, I think that there is a, a huge opportunity. You know, I keep t- talking about this idea of collaboration. Just because an, an organisation has an in-house training program, uh, my uh, my organisation in Australia, which I should say we employ at any one time about uh, 650 um, apprentices and, and place them out in business and industry, we work with the Nissan Motor Company and they have a uh, an in-house training program. But rather than, you know, set up something themselves and say, well, we're going to train our young people and not be a part of the, the system, um, they've actually partnered with an intermediary, but they've also partnered with a TAFE in each of the states. So as far as being an apprentice in that program, it's taken all the elements that make an automotive apprenticeship successful. It's uh, 2.8 years um, in duration, which is attractive for people coming into the program. But uh, some of the elements built into that program, dealers were saying, well, we don't want to take on apprentices because it's going to cost us um, a lot of time, effort and money to supervise people who just aren't productive. So we made sure that um, very early on in the program, um, people are learning um, how to change oil in a car, for instance, and be deemed certified to do that. And then immediately you see this employer interest because they're saying, okay, well, now I can see you know, how that's going to work for my business. Um, for the person undertaking the apprenticeship program, they can see the attraction. So I really think this idea of partnerships is a really good one. So if companies do have an in-house training program, they should really see how they can leverage that with TAFE or a university and you know, take something that's really good and turn it into something spectacular. One of the other areas you explore is professional certifications, and you see these a lot or increasingly in IT. That's, in fact, it's the professional certifications that seem to really matter. I, I think it comes back to this idea of what is an employer looking for? And I think that it's really this combination of, of two factors. They want people with real-world skills, but they also want people with um, strong academics. So um, they're looking for opportunities to train people in a real-world environment. There's a lot of employers who really, um, in a very refreshing way, taking an open-minded view as to who they might bring into their company and how. And so uh, particularly certifications um, work well. Quite often, you know, I meet employers who say, you know, if it's taking on an apprentice, they might, you know, you say, well, what are you looking for? What what are the types of, um, of attributes you're looking for? And, and every time it comes back to an attitude. They just want someone who is prepared to learn and employers are still prepared to invest in people and um, and certifications and um, occupational learning are definitely one way to do that. One thing I have to ask you about, Nicholas, is, uh, and, and I guess this is something you have to think about a lot, and I'm sure many people ask you about, and that is the jobs that haven't been invented yet. How do we train young people for a life in which 
we don't know what they're going to end up doing. I always say um, that we need to be training skills in parallel. So we really need to be, particularly in Australia, we, you know, we suffer from this tyranny of distance if we live in this age of globalisation and technological tra- uh, change. We really need to be reinforcing with students this idea of being adaptable and being able to relate to change. I think it's really important that, that there's soft skills built into any program, any educational program. No matter what the job is, people will generally have to relate to others um, in a workplace or relate to customers. It's very important that, um, particularly for young people who are making the transition from school to work, they understand the basics. Just showing up on time is, is absolutely critical. So believe it or not, there, there are a lot of young people who apply for apprenticeships with us who don't have this base level of what I call uh, uh, soft skills, and, and that really sets them back. Mm. One more thing before I let you go, and, and that's about the issue of, of quality assurance. So in the old days, back when I was a young person, you had options and they were about universities, technical training and, and apprenticeships. They were a known quantity. You kind of knew and your parents knew, you know, which institution was good for what. These days, there's so many options and it's hard to know which are worthwhile and which are less good. There is no question that uh, the internet is one source of information, but it's not the only source of information. And it can be very overwhelming, um, particularly for young people or be it people who are in transition, um, who might be in an industry and, and looking online and saying, well, how can I take on the skills? Just because someone has you know, a program through search engine optimization pushes somebody's web page up to the top of a list, doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be a quality education program. So I'm still a believer in people really need to, to do their homework and do their research beyond the internet. Um, if you're interested in working in a particular industry, go and meet some people in that industry. Work out a way to attend some events or get some real FaceTime networking because uh, just simply relying on the internet could lead someone into a program and uh, they could end up with a training provider who really isn't going to offer them the qualification that's going to get them the job that they so desire. Indeed. Nicholas, it's been really interesting. Thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure, Richard. Nicholas Wyman. And you can find out more about his book on our homepage. Just go to abc.net.au slash rn or Google best practice. And that's what you're listening to now on RN, online or via your favourite podcasting app. I'm Richard Aidey. Want to hear about the best party in town this election season? It's a new podcast with me, Frank Kelly. And me, Patricia Carvellis. The Party Room, your essential guide to this federal election. Subscribe now. Simply search for The Party Room in your podcast app. Or listen via the RN website, abc.net.au forward slash RN.